Well, God bless you and welcome to this first session of the NET series, the Necessary Equipping and Truth series. And you know, in Matthew chapter 13, it says in verse 47, that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels and threw the bad away. You notice there's a number of things in that section. It's talking about the harvest, but it's also talking about a corporate working together of those that are included in bringing in that harvest. That net was cast out into the sea, but it was a number of individuals that worked together to help bring that harvest in. And we need to understand that Christianity is designed to be a family working together. It's designed that we would obey what the Lord has given us to obey, what He has spoken to us, and what He has shown us. And in this series, I want to look into what is His will and what is His desire for us. What is His desire for the world and what is His desire for eternity? Because one thing we know is that what the Lord wills will come to pass. What He desires is going to happen in time. We want to be standing with Him. We want to be in the place of receiving from Him the greatest blessings. We want to be able to manifest the blessings of God. So we need to know what they are and how to put ourselves in a position to receive them. In John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My word. Now they already believed in Him, but to abide means to remain and to remain faithful. There are many that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are very many fewer who abide in the Lord Jesus. There are very many fewer who remain obedient to the teachings of Jesus. Obviously, you must first believe before you could abide. But I think that we could have a much greater success, a, a much greater proportion of success of those men and women who would abide in Him if we would understand a number of things about the abiding in Him, a number of things about the benefits of abiding in Him, and also how to abide in Him, how to remain in Christ Jesus, how to stay under the shadow of His wing. If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now you might know some truth to believe. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus, you, you know some truth. But he said, if you will abide in, in my word, then you will know the truth, which is to experientially know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Some translations say, set you free. Some people mistakenly read it from the translation that says, make you free, and they change it to set you free. But this says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that's different than set you free. To set a bird free is to open his cage and let him come out if he wants to. To make the bird free is to open his cage and reach in and take him out and let him go. Take him out of the cage that he's been bound in. That cell that has kept him from freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And if we know the truth experientially, then that truth will make us free. The door only begins to open when we believe. But as we know the truth, we are taken out of the things which bind us, and we are loosed from them. We are liberated from them. We receive liberty. We may only be His disciples to the extent that we abide in His Word. We may only abide in His Word to the extent that we know His Word. 
We can not abide if we do not know. In this country, if you break the law and you're taking to the judge for breaking that law, you cannot use as your defense for breaking that law that you did not know there was a law. It's your responsibility to know the law. If you break a law and you don't know about that law, you may receive mercy, but you are responsible, not the government. And God's no different. He has His rules laid down. He has His laws set. His laws were set even before they were written down. And we need to be able to abide in His Word. The only way we can really keep from breaking a law, let's say a little law that we don't know exists, is to find out what that law is and then obey that law. If we want to do the same with God, we need to know what He has said it is to abide with Him. If we will do that, then we will not break the law of God. So with God, especially, if we want to abide in Him, we need to know what His Word is. We need to know what is His will. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is the truth. If you'll abide in my Word, you will know the truth. If you'll abide in the Word, you will experience the truth. If you'll live in the Word who is Jesus, then you will experience the truth who is Jesus. By knowing the Word, we come to know Jesus. By knowing Jesus, we come to know the truth. And by coming to know the truth, we come to know the Word, the living Word. To abide is to obey. The Bible says that if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. He who abides in Him keeps His commandments. When you recognize that it's so difficult at times to keep what you know is right. It's because we're not abiding in Him. If we abide in Him, we will keep His commandments. If we love Him, we will keep His commandments. But to turn it the other way, if we want to keep His commandments, then we need to love Him. If we want to keep His commandments, then we need to abide in Him. Is the goal to keep His commandments or is the goal to abide in Him? I don't know if you can really separate them. But I think if we try to just keep the commandments without abiding in Him, we only become religious. But if we seek to abide in Him, even when we stumble, we'll find that there's a spirit of godliness that's still there. That we'll understand that with forgiveness, we can come right back in to abiding with Him, and to obeying Him, and to knowing Him. And to know the truth will make us free. Now in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, and has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. God has spoken in these days through His Son. God created all things through His Son. He made the world through His Son. His Son by Himself purged us of our sins and then sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. The right hand being the hand of blessing. The hand of authority. And He sat down in that place of authority after He completed what He needed to complete on earth for our benefit to purge us of our sins. And all mankind, whoever would call upon His name, would be saved. Now God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. And they wrote down 
what was to come. They wrote down what had occurred. They wrote down the promises. They passed them on to us. They've given us some insight into God's nature. They've given us some insight into who He is and how He reacts to certain things. How does He act? What are His plans? We need to know what it is that God wills so that we can be in that will and so that we can abide in that will. When we talk about these things, I always like to say probably the best place to start is at the beginning. So why don't we go to the beginning? Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness can never comprehend light. It can only flee from it. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Word of God. And all things were created by God through Him. The Father is the author of all creation. And the Son is the agent of all creation. And the Spirit is the administrator of all creation. But nothing happened without going through the Son from the beginning. Creation is from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. And He was the light of men. And that light was life. And He is the light. And in Him is the life. And He said of Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by Me. Whether you believe that or not will set you on a course in eternity. What you believe about that statement will set you on a course or take you off a course. Whether you believe it or not, he said it. And either he lied or he told the truth when he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one could come to the Father but by him. It was true then, it's true today, and it will be true in the future. Because even as creation came through the Son, so must creation go through the Son to the Creator. He's the door. Jesus is the door. He's the access. He's also the covering. Not only is He the covering for us, for creation, but He's also the covering of the Father. This is a great truth. All of our weaknesses originate in not knowing, understanding, and obeying the Word, which is and who is the truth. Now, like I said, I like to go to the beginning in order to begin. So let's go to the beginning again. Let's go to Genesis 1.1. Still talking about the beginning, but from different perspective. And it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. This is the first place you see in Scripture God's Word spoken. Now obviously it was written in the beginning. That was His Word being written down. But when it recorded His Word, His first Word recorded is, Let there be light. And Jesus is the light of the world. So right in the beginning is Jesus as the light. And he separated, he divided the light from the darkness. 
And Jesus always will divide the light from the darkness. Wherever he is, wherever those are that abide in him, always the darkness will be divided from the light. Now his word was given to us for a reason. In order to know why it was given to us, we need to go to the word to see what it says about itself. There are a number of things that it says about itself, many things. But the Word of God was given to us to perfect us, to bring us from darkness to light, first by believing, but then by abiding, by remaining. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, we read, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. This was written by the Apostle Paul. His interest was in obeying the Lord, abiding in the Lord so that he could fulfill the word of God. He was given a commission towards the body of Christ which was the church and he was being obedient to that as a steward and as a minister in order to fulfill the word of God. His motivation was to fulfill. His goal was to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished in order that he might fulfill the word of God. That he would be an agent of the word. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but is now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The purpose of the word is to perfect us. Now we can be very thankful that God our Father has found perfection in Jesus Christ. But as we abide in Him, we become the righteousness of God. As we abide in the Lord Jesus, we are be being perfected. And this is the purpose of His Word. To present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's no perfection outside of Christ Jesus. There's no possibility of perfection by any other means or in any other name, by any other method by any other ism, <laughs> by any other way. He is the way, and no one can come to the Father but through Him. There is no other way to become perfect, to be perfected, but in Christ Jesus. To this end, the Apostle wrote, to the end that every man in the church would be perfected in Christ, to this end I labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. We can do a lot of striving in the flesh. We can do a lot of religious things, and it be outside of the will of God. But He was laboring abundantly and striving, sacrificing of Himself. But it was according to His workings, which was working in the apostle mightily. When we do anything outside of Christ... It means nothing in the kingdom. Although it may seem good, and there may be fruit for someone else, there is nothing good that can come of it in the kingdom. When you do your labor, when you do your obedience, when you do your abiding, it must be through abiding in Him. Where you dwell must be in Him, in Christ Jesus. We need to begin to divide. Even as God divided the light from the dark, 
we need to divide in our lives. We need to understand how to divide the light from the dark in our own lives so that we can dwell in the light, so that we can be where the Lord Jesus is, so that His workings will work mightily in us, so that what we do will accomplish His will, so that we can help fulfill the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Beginning in verse 8, it says, Therefore, when he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Remember, he accomplished the will of the Lord, his God on earth, and he's ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of majesty. But he's still accomplishing things. He wants to fill all things. He wants to complete all things. He wants the will of the Father done. He wants the Word of God accomplished. And towards this end, he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is simply service. And these ministers were given, their lives were given in these categories and giftings so that the saints, the church, would be equipped so that they could do service, so that they could accomplish the will of God. And for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ, these fivefold ministers of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers are to equip the saints so that the work, the service, can be accomplished and that the church may be built up and strengthened. And there's a time limit. And it says, until, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now in this context we can see this perfect man is a corporate man made up of many parts. To become a perfect man in Christ is for us to be builded together. As we saw when the net was cast and when it was pulled in, it was by many, not by one. And as this new man is being built up, the body of Christ, through the knowledge of the Son of God, we are being perfected as a, that man. A perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, you'll never measure up to the stature of Christ, and neither will I. But together, we can measure up. Because as we come together in unity, the light is magnified. And if the light is magnified, then the darkness has to cease. It has to flee. It has to be divided, taken away. That we, that's us, that's more than one. That's the body, that's the church. That's a corporate unit that we should no longer be children. It doesn't say that you should no longer be a child. Singular. It says that we should no longer be children. Corporate. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. As we come together... 
and as we equip the saints so that the service may be accomplished and so that the body may be built up and strengthened, we are no longer going to be blown. We are no longer going to be forced off course. We are no longer going to be blown out of abiding in Him. But we'll be under the shelter. We'll be in the most holy place. We'll be in the protected place. And we'll be being perfected, even as we're being built together. These are all part and parcel of the same process. And God is at least as interested in the process as He is in the end result. If He were only interested in the end result, He could have, by His own will, accomplished everything already, even as He has in the heavens. But in His foreknowledge, He has prepared a place for us and allowed us to enter into His workings. Because of His mercy and grace, He has allowed us to come into His will and thereby receive things which we could never receive otherwise as we would be able to grow in capacity by obeying His Word, we will then allow Him to prepare us to receive a greater reward. God wants us to receive a full reward, but He cannot even place it in someone who has not been prepared. The capacity is not there. So He in His infinite love has allowed for us a process in Christ Jesus whereby we, submitting to His will which has been disclosed to us in the Word of God, can have our capacity to receive of God increased to the point that we would receive a full reward. Because God is love. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said that if you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, he was speaking that to a particular rich ruler. But the same principle is the same for us. For anyone, if we truly want... To have all that's available in the Spirit, we must become followers of Him. That's not just a believer in Him. That's not just a believer of Him. That's not even a believer that He is the Savior even. But that's someone that believes He is, and that He is the Savior, and then forsakes all and follows Him. Now, in the case of whom the Lord was speaking to at that time, it was a literal commandment to Him to that ruler. To leave everything physically, he need, that's what he needed to do. That's what would have freed him up. For some of us, that may also be true. And I've known many men that have given all, literally as well as figuratively, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we need to do is understand the same principle is that each of us needs to be willing to give up everything. But we need to be more than just willing. We need to give up everything. We need to take everything that has been given to us because nothing is yours Anything that you have, that you call yours, in reality, you're only stewarding it. Because you can't take it with you. Each and every one of us needs to make a decision as to what our reality is going to be. And we need to take everything that we have and everything that we are, and we need to submit it to the Lord. We need to say, this is not mine any longer. This is yours. And if He says to keep it, then keep it. But yet every day we need to go through that again. This is yours and I am yours. What would you have me to do with this? What would you have me to do with this body, with this life, with this heart today? That's if you want to be perfected. If you want to be perfected in Christ, you're going to have to come to Him. And if you want to come to Him, it's going to cost you something. You can't get next to the Lord and stay with Him, abide with Him, and be like everybody else. If you get close to Him, it will change you. 
If you really see His Word, it will change you. If you really hear His Word, it will change you. If you really abide in His Word, it will change you. It will improve you. It will perfect you. If you try to perfect yourself, you will never be able to accomplish it. If you want to perfect yourself, then what you need to do is abide in Him. What you need to do is find out what His will is so that you can abide in that will. If you will abide in that will, you will be perfected. He will tell you what you need to do. He will help you do it. A Christian, by definition, is one who follows Christ. He said, if you want to be perfect, then I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to follow me. By definition, a Christian is someone who follows Christ, who does things the way that he would have them done. An imitator of him. That's what a Christian is. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, the apostle said. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That wasn't figurative. He meant the bodies of those saints. Your bodies are not your own. They're made out of the dust of the earth, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So to present your bodies, which you have been given to steward for the time that you're in them, to present them as a living sacrifice, holy that means to do something in your body for God, it needs to be a holy thing. Holiness is not just the absence of sin. Holiness is the presence of God and the presence of His will. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed. Don't be molded. Don't imitate. Don't do what this world does. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are you going to prove what is good and perfect and what is the will of God? By presenting your body a living sacrifice, by living holy, by being acceptable, by giving Him something that He would want, not something that you think He would want. Not something that the world says he would want. That would be conforming to the world. And the world is in darkness. And light makes manifest darkness. And light separates, divides from the darkness. But not all sacrifice is acceptable to God. The Bible says that God delights more in obedience than in sacrifice. And disobedience is from stubbornness. And stubbornness is like rebellion. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. But stubbornness is just a cheap imitation of determination. Because a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is determined to be a disciple. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to cost something. It's going to cost everything. But it'll be worth it. And if we haven't got determination, we won't make it past the first roadblock. On the other hand, if we've got stubbornness, we won't even get started on the trip. Because we won't allow ourselves to come away from conforming to this world. So we must each determine in our hearts which way we're going to go and who are we going to follow and who are we going to be like and are we going to pay the price from our living sacrifice 
because the Lord Jesus has already paid the price for us of everything that we could not pay on our own behalf. But if we want to be perfected, then we must present to Him a sacrifice of this body, living, holy, and acceptable before Him by means of trans the transformation that occurs as we renew our minds. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yeah. Now, he said, count it joy when you fall into the trials, into the temptations. He didn't say, thank God for the temptation. <laughs> he said, in the temptation, count it all joy. In the trial. He didn't say, thank God for the sickness. But in the sickness, count it all joy and utilize it as an opportunity to become perfected in Christ. He didn't say if you fall into various trials. He said when. Count it all joy. How do you count it all joy? He says knowing. So knowledge helps you to count the joy. Knowing this will help you to have joy in the middle of a trial. Not knowing this will not help you have joy in a trial. But to know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And we'll read on. Verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work. Now, it doesn't say force patience. Let it. It takes time to allow something, doesn't it? How much time? Well, I don't know, but there's a reason he's saying patient. <laughs> It'd probably take longer than you think. <laughs> but you can count it all joy if you'll know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And if patience has its perfect work, if you'll let it, that means you have to take your hands off of it. You have to allow this. Because if he's saying to let patience, then he's also implying that you have the authority and the ability not to let patience, to stop patience from having its perfect work. But what is its perfect work? Let patience, allow patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you're in a trial, you lack something at that moment. You need a deliverance. You need to be saved from that trial. You need to be rescued. You're lacking that at that moment. But patience, having her perfect work, will allow you to be perfect and complete and lack nothing, including the deliverance that you desire. Now look, if any of you lacks wisdom, what kind of wisdom? The kind of wisdom that you lack when you're in that trial. The kind of wisdom that you need to come through that trial and to be perfected through that trial. What kind of wisdom? The kind that we need in the context of what we're speaking here. If any of you lacks wisdom, what can you do about it? Let him ask God who gives liberally and without reproach. If you are in a trial, and if you'll approach God for wisdom, for that specific trial, he's not going to give you reproach. He's not going to berate you. He is going to give you wisdom liberally. He's not going to hold back and give you half of what you need to get through the trial. But if you're allowing patience to have her perfect work, you will have joy in that trial because if you'll seek the Lord, He will be giving you wisdom. And as you receive that wisdom, you'll have a reason for joy. 
and you'll have a reason to rejoice. And you will be perfected and complete and you will receive that which you are lacking in that situation. And once you receive it, you always will have it. What God gives, He doesn't take back. Ask God, He'll give liberally and without reproach. In Psalm 111 verse 10 it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To understand that He has all the answers. And when you're in a trial, to seek Him, to ask of Him, is acting out the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He will give to you liberally wisdom because you have feared Him, because you have sought Him, because you have desired Him above the trial. You have desired to find His will to be strengthened through patience. You are able to be strengthened and come through this trial stronger than you went in. Rather than to circumvent it by some worldly method and have to go through it again. But rather to seek the Lord and to seek the Lord until you're done seeking Him. Until you receive the fullness of the wisdom that He wants to give you liberally. So that you'll come through complete. Let Him ask in faith when He asks God. Don't go to God saying, well, I know you, you would help someone else. But I'm not sure if you'll help me. But to go in faith with confidence. Don't doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What did we read in Ephesians? The purpose of the gift ministries that God has given to the church is that we would not be driven by the wind, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine. When we approach God, we, we need to have been taught. We need to be prepared as a people so that when we seek God, we go with confidence so that we, we can be prepared ministers, equipped ministers, able to be building up, able to be edifying and edified. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, to endure temptation does not mean to give in to temptation. Yeah. To be tempted is not to be sinning. To purposely put yourself in temptation might be, but we will fall into various trials. That's not the same as jumping in. <laughs> and the man who endures the temptation and does not give in, who goes through it by his patience, stands firm, and by the fear of the Lord receives the wisdom to come through it complete, will be perfected, for he has been approved. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, when is he approved? When he's accomplished that what he was called to accomplish. In other words, he has gone through the temptation without sinning. Then he gets the approval. If you work on an assembly line, checking a product as it comes through, you only approve those products that have come through perfectly, that are perfected, that look and function the way they should. They've come through the building process They've been completed, and then now as they're inspected, they're approved. And only those that are approved go out and are sent out. Likewise with us, as we're going through the process that God has us on of being perfected, as we come through, passing the trial by patience, through endurance, by perseverance, we are approved. He'll allow you to wear the stamp of approval. And it, it will be a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him.
Well, doesn't everybody love the Lord that's confessed Him? Doesn't everybody who's a Christian love the Lord? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will abide in me. So those that abide in Him are those that love Him. And those that love Him will endure temptation. And those that love Him and endure temptation will be approved of Him. And will receive the seal of approval, the crown of life. Let no one say when I'm tempted, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Who tempts us? The tempter. The evil one. But each one is tempted. Here's the process. When he is drawn away by his own desires. Not when you're drawn away by the desires of the Lord, but when you're drawn away from the Lord by your desires. We all have them. They're ours, though. We can take dominion over them. We have authority over that which is ours. He is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, seduced. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now this process is the way of all flesh. It's conceived, it's birthed, it grows to fullness, and it dies. And all flesh will go through that process. And every person that's ever lived, that's ever been conceived and born, will begin to grow until they die. And sin is like that. By our own fleshly desires, we're enticed by the things of the world and by the tempter, away from the things of God. And has to be, a seed has to be planted. But even that seed planted needs a place to, to implant itself so it can be conceived. And then it will grow and it will at some point give birth if it's allowed to grow. When it's birthed, it will grow and it will bring forth death. We have the authority, however, to declare that which is going to die dead now and thereby living for Christ. We can declare those desires dead and not allow them to have a voice or a say and thereby we will not be enticed away from abiding in Him. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. We want to be perfected. We want that which is perfect. Every perfect gift comes from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will. Whose will? His will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. By His own will, He delivered us. He birthed us. By His will, He chose to become the Father of lights. Now Jesus is the light of the world, is He not? Jesus is a Son of the Father. God is the Father of light. But Jesus said, we are now, because of Him, the light of the world. And God, by His will, has chosen to be the Father of lights. That's us. By His will, He has chosen to be our Father. He has conceived us. And He has birthed us. Now we need to choose where are we going to grow. In darkness or in light. For if we grow in darkness, the end is death. But if we grow in light, the end is life. And the approval is a crown of life. Of his own will, he brought us forth 
by the word of truth. Who's the word? Jesus. Who is the truth? Jesus. We were birthed by the word of truth. Not only were we birthed because of the word about truth, but we were birthed by the word of truth. We had to hear about truth, but then he himself, truth birthed us by bringing the word to life into us, by implanting that word within us, by giving us the hope of glory, which is light, which is Christ in us. This was and is the will of the Father, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we would be birthed by his word and dwell, abide in his word. Verse 21, Therefore, because of this, lay aside all filthiness, not most of it, not just the stuff that other people notice, but even the things that only you know about. All filthiness. Lay it aside. That takes action on your part. He didn't say, therefore pray that God would lay it aside. He said, you lay it aside. All the filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness. Remember, stubbornness and meekness are opposites. But determination and meekness go hand in hand because meekness and weakness are not the same. You must be determined to be meek in order to receive. To receive with meekness the implanted word that that seed would be implanted within you which is able to save your souls, which is able to perfect that which is lacking, which is able to bring you to completeness through the process. The implanted word. A seed doesn't do anybody any good unless it's planted in the ground first. Then there's a process. But first it must be planted in the good ground. And your heart is fertile ground for the word to be implanted. To receive it with meekness is to give it a place to grow. That's good ground. And it will. It will. You can't. It will do what you can't do, which is to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, because you're only going to deceive yourself. You won't fool anyone else. You'll only fool yourself. To allow it to be planted, but you must let it grow. It cannot grow unless you'll be a doer of the word. It must be implanted and it must be birthed. As you do it, you are allowing it to be birthed in your life. If you allow it to come and to be placed within you, but do not allow it to grow, then you are deceived. If you will allow it to grow, it is able to do things for you that you cannot do for yourself. Verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. To look into the perfect law of liberty, to receive the Lord is to become a believer. But to continue in it is the process that we want to be on. That we would be perfected. Not to just look into that perfect law, but to let it dwell within us. To let it be implanted and to allow it to change us. As we step out and do it, it begins to change us. It transforms us. 
if we will continue in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now you already received many promises when you received the Lord Jesus. When you believed on the Lord Jesus, you were attributed blessings. All blessings in heavenly places were attributed to you. Your name was written on all the blessings in, in all of heaven. But you cannot receive them into manifestation unless you're willing to do the word. If you are a doer, then you will not be a forgetful hearer. If you will only hear but not do, then you will forget in time what you heard. Maybe in a short time. But if you will hear and then immediately do, then you will accomplish that which you've heard. That which has been implanted in you will now begin to have fruit. It's a process. A seed must be planted. And then if it's in good ground, it will grow. And in time, it will bear fruit. We want our lives to be like that. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. To receive the word, we need to hear the word. And we need to allow it to be implanted within us. But we need to be a doer and not only a hearer. Part of doing is speaking. And the Apostle James tells us that if we will not bridle our tongue, who needs to bridle it? We do. Now he also says you can't control it. But you need to bridle it. You know what a bridle is? It goes in the mouth of the horse. It basically turns his head in the direction that the rider wants it to go. If you will bridle your words and allow the Lord to hold the reins, then He will direct your paths. He will direct your goings and comings. But He will not bridle your tongue. You must do that. You must be a hearer and a doer. You're hearing this tonight. You must take action if you intend to have a direction changed. It's a process that God is very interested in. He is not only interested in where you're going, but He's interested in being a part of the process of getting you there. But you must allow Him. If you will allow Him, then He will become part of that process and He will direct you towards perfection. And He'll be with you every step of the way. Otherwise, your religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, I'll guarantee you, if your goal <laughs> is to live in this world and not be spotted by this world, you'll have a full-time job. You will not have time to be so concerned about those things that you're not wanting to give up in order to follow the Lord Jesus. In reality, if your goal is to be unspotted by the world in which you dwell, those things will very quickly become secondary to you. Because we have to set our goals if we know what we're going to be determined to go after. Are we determined to live a life for Christ? Are we determined to allow the word that we receive to be received with meekness so it can be implanted? Are we determined that we're going to allow it to grow and be released by our actions so that it can have its perfect work in us? So that we can walk through this process and be unspotted by the world. You set the direction. 
You choose what is going to be manifested by what you allow to grow. The spirit or the flesh. One leads to life and one leads to death. The end of all flesh is death. And the end of the spirit is a crown of life. Now the word we've been looking at, translated perfect here, is a Greek, from a Greek word, teleos. And it means completeness. It means of full age. It means to grow and mature in character. It's not the word to mean perfect as God is perfect. But it means that we have gone through a process and we have become complete through that process. There are other related words. One we find in John 17, 23. I'll read 22 also. And the glory which you gave me, Jesus said, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Outside of Christ, it's impossible for us to go through this process. Outside of Christ, it's impossible for us to be perfected in the sight of the Lord. There is no other way to grow to a full age in Christ but to be in Christ. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Not only must you grow, but I must grow with you, and we must grow together. Because we want to become a perfect new man, the body of Christ, being built together as a habitation for God. That the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them, and you have loved me. As we allow ourselves to be transformed and perfected, the world will know that the Lord was sent. Now I'd like you to look in 2 Timothy, if you would, chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And beginning in first, verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, And from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Where does wisdom come from? God. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. How did Timothy know about what made him wise for salvation? Through the Holy Scriptures. By the fear of the Lord, he searched the Scriptures, and they made him wise for salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he adds, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But not only is it given by God's inspiration, but it has a purpose. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If you're instructed, then you will know. And if you know, then you will be able. If you know the law, then you have a choice to break it or not to break it. But not knowing the law, you won't know when you break it. And yet you're still responsible if you do. True. But the scriptures were given by the inspiration of God for a reason. That we would profit by it. That the scriptures would be for us. Profitable doctrine, right instruction. Reproof and correction. So we could be instructed in righteousness. For the reason, for the purpose. That the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, prepared for every good work. Remember, not every religious work, but those works which we would strive that we would allow him to do his workings through us, as the Apostle Paul said. The scriptures were given so that we could have that accomplished in our lives. That will never be accomplished in our lives without Scripture, without understanding Scripture, without respecting the Scripture enough to go and see what was written for us. The King James Version says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. But what I want you to understand, what you can't see in any English translation, is that the word there is three times the same word, ardios. It should be I think a better way to translate it would be to be consistent and completely, completely, completely equipped or equipped, equiply, equiply, equiply uh, for every good work or thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly prepared for every good work so that we would understand it's, it's, it's the same thing being enforced again and again and again so that we would get the idea that he's trying to point out to us that you could be very, very, very ready for every good work that you could be so prepared that you're prepared for any good work and never to be spotted by the world. That you could be so prepared that you're equipped, so uh, you're completely, completely completed in that you're able now in any situation to face any trial and come through it without having given in to the temptation. And to have come through it stronger than you went in because patience had its perfect work. That's what the scriptures were given to us for. That word, that Greek word I'm referring to is the word artios. And it's used in classic literature to represent or speak of a ship that has been totally, completely, completely equipped for a long journey. Everything that it would need for any kind uh, of a weather pattern, for any uh, port it might enter. Totally equipped for the entire passage of an entire journey. Not knowing what lies ahead, but knowing that it has a destination that it must arrive at. And it is ready to go through anything to get there. That's the word. That's what the scripture was given to you. So that you could be like that. As a man of God to reach the destination with the ship intact. With the cargo intact. Now, in Luke chapter 6... You'll see, actually, there's, there's three related words, the ardios and exartizo, which are both in the, in the verse we just read in 2 Timothy uh, 3.17. And here in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, another compound of that word, katartizo, which also means thoroughly, completely. And he said in verse 40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like the teacher. Wouldn't you like to be like the teacher, the rabbi, the rabboni, Jesus? If we would be thoroughly trained, we would be like the teacher. For the people of God to receive necessary equipping and truth, they would be like the teacher. And Paul warned his son, Timothy, that in the last days, there would be a time when people would not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires. Whose desires? Their own. And I'm speaking from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 
By their desires they were enticed away, as James said. They allowed themselves to be taken away by their own desires, by their lust to implant something that was not of God, and they allowed it to be birthed as they allowed it first to, to grow within them, then to be manifested. By their own desires, it says, because of itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will not endure the sound doctrine. This, this does not happen in one time. They heap to themselves teachers. Why? Because of their own itching ears. Because of their own desires. We will never be like the teacher unless we are willing to put away our desires and receive his. If we are not willing to exchange our desire for his desire, we may bridle our tongue, but we must give him the reins. If we choose not to give him the reins, then we have not exchanged our desire for his desire. And we will not end up at the destination that he has prepared for us. We'll end up at a destination of someone else's choosing and preparation. But he was perfectly trained, perfectly equipped, prepared, completely equipped, completely perfectly trained and equipped, ready. <laughs> Is like the teacher. Remember, we saw it already. Ephesians 4.14 That we are to be equipped so that we are not blown about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, with cunning craftiness. They deceive us. But that we would be equipped so that we would be like our teacher, who many men tried to entice him, including the tempter himself, and yet he never gave in to the temptation and sinned. And every temptation that came to him, he found the way out, and thereby he has the right to be the teacher, to show us the way, to lead us to the way that he has gone. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God that you have come to need milk and not solid food. We need to come again to a place where we recognize we have need of milk so we can start again. So we can allow again that baby within us to grow. That it can be grown up correctly. That we could be completely equipped this time to be like our teacher while we're going through the process. We need to be determined to come back and lay everything at the Master's feet and allow Him then to pick us up and to take us where He would have us to go so that when we get there, we'll be perfected. And when we get there, we will be a body. Amen.